This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. In December of 2002, on a gloomy winter day, 61-year-old Vincent Buddy Cianci arrived at Fort Dix Federal Prison in New Jersey. He was there to serve a sentence for racketeering conspiracy. Here he is talking to the co-author of his autobiography. Wasn't there a time when you sat down and said, what am I doing here? Absolutely. This is insane. But it is insane. But when you get there, you can't make the time do you. You've got to do the time. Buddy had once rubbed shoulders with senators, governors, even presidents. But now... Oh, I was, oh, I worked in the kitchen. They put me there as high profile because they show the mayor serving food. I never did this work before. I had to mop floors. I had to uh, wash dishes. I had to uh, scrub pans and all that kind of stuff. And he made friends. One of the first guys he met was a mafia capo from Rhode Island named Matty Guglielmetti. They had heavy hitters there. There was, uh, uh, Medi was there, the guy, the mafia guy. And he's a nice guy, by the way. And I said to Mr. Razum all the time, I said, you guys are so smart, you're on more tapes than Frank Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> and Guglielmetti wasn't the only Rhode Islander Buddy would meet in prison. Buddy also met someone you might remember from previous episodes. You know, what are the chances of me, uh, landing in the same dorm with him? Well... It was just my luck that I did. Charles, the ghost, Kennedy. I, I was very impressed with Buddy because I went in, I'm there with somebody who can have a conversation without wanting to kill everybody. Started hanging around with him. I would go to dinner with him, and when he would get out of work, I'd go around in his cell. But he was in a two-man cell. And it was like a little oasis for me because now I could get out of the dorm and go sit down and, and read, and we'd talk. It was, it was very enjoyable for me. Charles and Buddy both liked to keep up on current events, and Buddy had lots of newspapers and magazines sent to him in prison. I used to get tons and tons. It was embarrassing, because I'd stand there, guys wouldn't get any mail. I would get like 30, 40 pieces of mail a day sometimes. <laughs> and me, if I'm always a voracious reader, and I want my I want my newspapers. I love the Province Journal. I devour it. I go, buddy, can I get on the, the train? He goes, you'll be first in line. He had the best subscriptions of newspapers. Picture it. Buddy Cianci, the fallen prince of Providence, in a prison cell with Rhode Island's most notorious drug dealer, sitting side by side on a bunk, passing sections of the newspaper back and forth, and making jokes that only another Providence political junkie would get. He had a windbreaker that, that he liked to wear, and he lost it, and he was upset. I knew somebody working in the laundry. I told the kid, I said, I need a, a large windbreaker, the orange one. 
The kid brings it over to my cell. When Buddy was indicted and he had a press conference, he said that you will find no stains on his jacket. I took out a little sticky pad I had and I put a note on it and I said, uh, I hope you like your new jacket and you'll find there are no stains on this jacket. So I'm looking at his reaction and he opens it up and he started laughing. And I always told him, I said, you know, buddy, you're no criminal. <laughs> you know, like in the classic sense. When we first met Buddy Cianci way back in episode one, he was a crusading prosecutor taking on the mob. Now, Buddy's behind bars with the same criminals he put away at the beginning of his career. For the mayor of any other city, this would be the end of the road. But Buddy isn't any other mayor. And Providence isn't any other city. Today, in our last episode of the season, the final chapter in the story of Buddy Cianci, the longest-serving mayor of Providence, Rhode Island. I'm Mark Smerling. And I'm Zach Stewart-Pontier. Welcome to Crime Town. Vote for Vincent Buddy Cianci, the anti-corruption candidate. He says, you know, I, th I think I'm going to run for mayor. Either that or I'm going to buy a boat. He said, we're going to start a movement, Democrats for CNC. I said, what? I said, I ain't fucking voting for that fucking piece of shit. And now the victory speech by Vincent ACNC Mayor. Thank you all very, very Corruption was a part of the culture here. But I don't think they understood how deep the corruption ran. You had him an envelope $500, so you used this for your campaign. You know what I mean, Kelly? That's the way you do things. That's the way the game is played. Come back to me, come back to me, come All back right, to me. You're come on, Jim, go ahead. Mayor Cianci guilty on the first charge, the RICO count that has just come up from the jury. Prison, when I went there, shackled and chained and I said, what the hell has my life come to? Oh, I hated him. I wanted everything bad to happen to him. He worked hard to make sure I get defeated for city council and for mayor. I worked hard to try to get him defeated for, for mayor. This is Joe Paolino. He became the mayor of Providence after Buddy was forced from office the first time for beating up a guy in his living room. And when Buddy attempted his comeback in 1990, Paolino fought hard against him. I want to ask every single person in this room to bend with me and to agree with an ideal and a goal that this city should never be turned back to the crooks ever again. But many years later, after Buddy had been sent to prison, Joe Paolino ran into a mutual friend and asked about his old political enemy. And I said, gee, how's he doing? And she said, why don't you write him a letter? I said, what am I going to do, ask him how you're doing at Fort Dix? I said, what do you ask him? She said, just tell him gossip. 
Just wanted to hear what's going on. One letter, one page letter, I got a return of three pages. So I'm page and a half for two pages next. I got a five page letter. All of a sudden we became pen pals. Through that, he, um, he asked me after about a year or two, would I ever consider visiting him? I've been to one of those places before. So I said, yeah, uh, put me on the list and I'll come down. Got there about 10 in the morning and you gotta go in and they have a locker, you gotta put things in and you close and they check you out and you're going through a door, then another door. The place is dirty, it's a cafeteria, there's vending machines all over. I was told to bring a lot of quarters and dollar bills. Joe watched as prisoner number 05000-070 walked into the visiting room. In a simple khaki uniform, Buddy looked thinner and older, and he wasn't wearing his toupee. Didn't have the squirrel on his head. Uh, we sat down, we started talking, talked about mutual friends, talked about family, sat, then comparing notes about mutual enemies. Remember I did this to you? Yeah, you remember when I did this back to you? Two ex-mayors sitting across a cold metal table reminiscing about the old days. I said, buddy, how'd they give you the credit? I, I had the shovel, I started the project. He said, but I cut the ribbon, that's what they remember. But buddy and I used to kid each other, and um, I say, buddy, I really did that. I don't know, Joe, I really did that. Then finally we say, okay, we both did it. And we just kept on talking, I gotta tell you, it went by like 20 minutes. It went by 20 minutes, Asked me, would I come back again? I said, sure. I mean, when I left there, I just shook my head the first time. I said, boy, this guy doesn't belong here. Too much talent. Wasted in a box. But even in that box, Buddy still found ways to use his political talents. One night, I'm laying down in my bunk, and a guy had come into the room, new guy from New York, sits up there, and he stole somebody's toothpaste. So guy from another room comes in and says, you stole my toothpaste. I saw you steal my toothpaste. They're going to fight. And in prison, when you know they're going to fight, they take their shoes off and they put their sneakers on and go, shoes off. Because they have bad footing, yeah. To prevent a fight, Buddy stepped in and suggested the prisoners take a vote to decide if the new guy from New York should be reported to the guards. They go around the room. I want him out, too. He could steal my shit. I was missing something from my locker last week. He would have taken it. Now it votes. It comes down to me. Mayor, this is going to be mayor. What do you think? I said, I think you're all fucking nuts. It's going to be a big investigation as to who stole the fucking toothpaste. We're all going to go to the fucking hole. They said, now look at up there. You, you're a fucking drug dealer. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you robbed the fucking bank. You, you, uh, you're a, a, a fucking uh, computer hack. You, you're a, whatever you did, right? Go around and said, him. I said, he stole fucking toothpaste. <laughs> I said, the problem is he's got nothing. Now, that's why he stole toothpaste. Now, I got shit in my lock. I got up, I said, so I'm gonna give him some toothpaste. So now, pass the laundry bag around. Why don't you help him out, give, give him something, and maybe you don't have to steal anymore. The guy's got nothing. Yeah, all right. I said, how many of you guys would like to have a trial? Like, and, and, and how would you like to be treated like this? I said, where you can help somebody out. Wouldn't you like to be treated like that? 
All right, Mayor, you're right, right? But I mean, we're gonna, these kids have no brains. They were going to risk going to the hole for four weeks, five weeks for investigation over a fucking you know, tube of toothpaste. Buddy became the unofficial mayor of Fort Dix, a guy you could talk to. But building relationships in prison had its downsides. I live with those guys, and you establish relationships. They leave, they either get transferred to another prison, or they, their time is up, you've lost a friend. They would leave, and I would watch them from my window. They, they're, they're, most of them, their life, their whole life is in a laundry bag. You know, they give you a laundry bag and you take it out. You've got to buy it, by the way. And they have their couple of pairs of socks and a couple of pairs of uh, underwear and maybe some toiletries and a couple of books and some letters. And that's, then they're on their way out. And you'll never see them again. But there's always hope when they leave because, you know, they had their day and you're going to get your day. phone call comes in the night before. He said, this is Warden so-and-so. I have your uncle on the phone. This is Buddy's nephew, Dr. Brad Turquetta. Buddy gets on the phone in Buddy's voice and says, boss, I need you here at 4 a.m. And I said, what? Just be here at 4 a.m. I'll give you back to the warden. The warden said to me that they had so many calls from the media, they wanted pictures of him, they wanted him coming out of prison. The warden did not want that any kind of that media hype, so he had us go down early and couldn't tell a soul. It was May 29, 2007. That evening, Brad picked up Buddy's daughter, Nicole, and they hit the road. I was gonna be the driver, and, and she and I were gonna go down and pick him up. It's five plus hours. And we get to the prison, and we gotta go to a certain gate that we've never been to, so we're trying to find it. And we eventually find it, pull off in the road. So we're waiting, and all of a sudden, I see a car up ahead flick its lights on and off. So I turn my lights on. And so it drives over. My heart's beating. You know, I'm in the middle of New Jersey, nowhere. And a guy rolls down his window, and he says, are you here to pick up the package? And I said, I guess I am. So we follow him. We go inside the gate. And there's Buddy in another car. He's got a satchel full of his, all his personal items. And we sign him out. So he's happy, we get in the car. And we start driving to a private road that leads us to the Jersey Turnpike and we are up and gone. And all the press was waiting at one gate. And they, was, they thought I was going to get out at 9 o'clock in the morning, and I remember listening on the radio. Oh, we're waiting for the mayor to come out. Live television. We're waiting for the mayor to come out. We're waiting. We're waiting. He should be out. Anyway, we have telescopic lens. I was already going over the George Washington Bridge when that was happening. Brad had assembled a care package for Buddy. A cell phone, potato chips, and Twizzlers, and Buddy's toupees. There was a bunch of toupees that, that he had, so I brought them all. I think there were four, actually. Once they were in the clear, Brad pulled over at a rest stop so Buddy could take a moment to enjoy his freedom. We pull over, and we get out of the car, and he lights up a cigarette. He's in his sweats. He takes a few drags, and he's got his toupees I brought him. He puts them on, and I don't know if his head shrank or the toupees grew, but they looked ridiculous. He starts taking some drags of the cigarette, and he starts doing 
this, all I can describe it as this crane walk. Picture Ralph Macchio in Karate Kid with his arms up in the air, Buddy stepping, almost goose-stepping forward with a toupee on and a cigarette in his mouth, smoking like he's high. He is so excited to breathe in fresh, free air. Sight I'll never forget. When he returned, when he came back from prison, and it was just electric, it was a buzz. This is Ron St. Pierre, the talk show host you met in the last episode. And now, he wanted to give Buddy his old radio show back. You know, I, I remember saying to my boss, you won't have to spend a penny on promotion, okay? This is one name, you know, it's Cher, you know, it's, it's Ringo. Boom, everybody knows. All you have to do is say Buddy. Buddy settled into life as a local celebrity and radio talk show host, commenting on the news of the day. Yeah, they don't even need Secret Service. If anybody ever bumped off Obama, which we don't want to, don't ever want to see, Biden would be president. My God, you know how awful that would be if Biden was president? <laughs> That's the best security you can possibly have, is Biden. Rendering judgment on those in power. Uh, this caught my eye. Nancy Pelosi, she spent a little over $2.1 million just on crisscrossing the country in a big Air Force jet. How about that? Just in a big Air And, Force of course, jet. taking calls from his fans. I used to call in and tell you I was you know, the guy that voted for you for governor. Oh, God, that's years ago. That's from the old day. Yeah, I ran for, for governor in 1980, and we all have a reunion. We meet in a phone booth. Um, everybody <laughs> who voted for you. always say yeah. that. <laughs> in 2008, Buddy decided the time had come for him to write his autobiography. So he partnered with a prominent author named David Fisher. They first met in the Biltmore Hotel in downtown Providence, and this is a recording of that meeting. This, I just tell you by way of introduction, this hotel is a famous old hotel. Willie Loman in Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman says to his children, his kids, he says, you know, I was in Providence today selling, and I had uh, breakfast with the mayor of Providence at the Biltmore Hotel. Nice guy. So I always remember that line, and years later, Arthur Miller came to the Biltmore Hotel at a dinner. And so I met him, and I gave him the key to the city, and I said, now you're really going to meet the mayor of Providence. <laughs> David taped hours of conversations with Buddy. You've been hearing some of those recordings this season. And during one of their many dinners, David asked Buddy a question. Would he ever run for mayor again? Would you consider it again? Sure. You would? Yeah. I don't think my accountant would like it, but I would do it this for I don't like the way I left. I've never walked out of that office, um, shall I say. I don't know what it's like to leave that office because you just, your term was over. <laughs> Every time I leave the office, lawyers were <laughs> I think if you ran for mayor tomorrow, you would get it. Oh, who, well, thank you for saying that, but let me, they, they got a mayor, we want him to do well. And oh, yeah, Hopefully sure. he will. <laughs> hopefully he will. It didn't, it didn't take me long to realize that he was never not running for public office, if you know what I'm saying, right? Again, radio talk show host Ron St. Pierre. If, if, if straddling the fence were an Olympic sport, he'd, he'd get the gold, maybe the silver and the bronze, too. Could Buddy Cianci, a two-time felon, twice kicked out of office, make another comeback? That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. One afternoon in 2014, after months of speculation, Buddy Ciency took to his radio show to make an announcement. Today I wish to share with you my personal plans for future public service. There are some of you who may say that this is an 11th hour decision, but I assure you it was not made rashly or in haste. Rather, it has been conceived with much soul searching and reflection. Today, with a sense of humility, contrition, and confidence, I announce to you my candidacy for mayor of Providence. Joseph, how are you? Back in a while. Thank you. Buddy Cianci was running for mayor for the seventh time. The 73-year-old Cianci wants his old job back, holding court on this night at a drag bingo game. Under the B for Buddy, six. Why dive back in? We've had a, over a decade of decline in the city. That's number one. And I looked around to see who was running, and none of them had the vision, and so I decided that I would run for mayor. Cianci has his share of critics, but the polls show Providence just might give Buddy another try. Now, campaign 2014, the Providence mayoral debate. Live from Rhode Island College, a televised debate among the candidates for Providence mayor. First, let's tackle the topic that has been front and center from the beginning, at least since June, and that is Mr. Cianci's entrance into the race. Buddy was running as an independent, and his main opponent was a young Democrat named Jorge Alorza. Mr. Alorza, at a recent forum you said, and I quote, I think it's an embarrassment that Mr. Cianci is running for mayor. If he's such an embarrassment, why are more than one in three voters supporting him? You know, that's truly the question. We have a clear choice in this campaign. We can vote for honest leadership that moves the city forward, or we can go, go back to the failed and corrupt politics of the past Let's leave behind all of the corruption and, and what led the, the ex-mayor to go to jail. Today, let's Buddy's Republican opponent, Daniel Harrop, put a finer point on it. Mr. Cianci has a half-century history of recurrent, thuggish, criminal behavior. Well, let me tell you this. I've made mistakes in my life. I'm sorry for them. I'm humbled by them. But there were no mistakes in the area of developing the city of Providence when I was mayor. You know, I've been with him for a long time, and he was not 100% during that 2014 campaign. You could see it in the debates. This is Paul Campbell, Buddy's friend and longtime campaign manager. He wasn't as sharp as he had been in the past. He was 60.6%. 66. The next, well, wait a minute. Two, my budget went from, uh, from 2002 to, to, to 2003, basically. 64% in 2003. Yeah, so it was up there. It wasn't, but it was the plan that we, wasn't 100%. Never said it was 100%. If I but I think his mind was somewhat distracted by, uh, it, it would certainly distract me. Yeah. Uh, trying to deal with uh, a challenge like that. I knew he was sick uh, and that he was uh, being treated for uh, colon cancer. Apparently he had delayed treatment for quite a while and it was pretty advanced. And I told him uh, that, you know, he's got to make the decision based on his own, um, his own goals, his own vision, and in, and in a sense his own uh, 
survivability. I went up to a barber shop up in the, you know, the Elmhurst section of the city. Longtime Providence Journal reporter Mike Stanton followed Buddy's campaign. And there was this old Italian barber holding court about Buddy and how he loved Buddy. And, and this guy had a huge Cianci for Mayor campaign sign on the roof of his building. And all around him was all these new Guatemalan immigrants. But then this quiet little sign in the window of the Guatemalan bakery, you know, was for Jorge Alorza, his opponent. Right. And the demographics of the city had changed. None of the state's most closely watched races, the race for Providence Mayor, political newcomer Jorge Alorza, beat out two-time Mayor Independent Vincent Buddy Cianci and Republican Daniel Harrop. <laughs> I can tell you that it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a bittersweet, you know, uh, uh, night tonight because this will be my last campaign. Uh, <laughs> For this year. You know, you know, there were some people who said that we shouldn't even have been in this race, and maybe they were right. However, I can tell you this. I can I can tell you. But I loved every minute of it. I can tell you that it was a great experience and it was a great, great love affair that I have with the city of Providence that will never end, that will continue till the day I die. Check, 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 check. So we are downtown Providence. The city hall for the unveiling of the official Buddy Cianci mayoral portrait. It's now 2015, and Zach and I are in Providence for a special event. A new portrait of Buddy's being unveiled in City Hall. Hi, how are you? We walk into the Alderman's chamber and wait for Buddy to arrive. This will be my second time meeting Buddy Cianci. When I was 21, a friend took me for a drink at the Biltmore Hotel. He saw Buddy and pointed him out sitting alone at the bar, hovering over a martini. My friend asked if I wanted to meet the mayor of Providence, so we walked over, and Buddy lit up. It was just a chance encounter, a guy who knew a guy who happened to know the mayor. But Buddy made me feel like an old friend. He asked me questions about myself and told stories. We talked for half an hour and then said our goodbyes. Not long after, I read an article about a fireplace log and a cigarette, how Buddy had attacked a man in his living room. I couldn't recognize the Buddy I was reading about as the Buddy I'd just met. And that, the inability to reconcile the two sides of Buddy, never left me. 
When Zach and I started this podcast, I got Buddy's cell phone number, and he and I talked a few times. And that's how I find myself here in City Hall at this portrait unveiling. I'm here to convince the six-time mayor of Providence to talk to me about his life. of what they have here at City Hall, the collection, both in terms of There he is. No, I know it's exciting. Here comes Buddy. He's coming in to say hello, which is amazing. Hey, buddy, I'm Mark Smerling. We talked on the phone. Oh, How Mark? are you? Good, Mark. I'm Mark. Oh, Invite okay. To see you. <laughs> yeah, Zach. Zach. I nice saw you on TV. You. Yeah. I told you. Yeah. That Durst thing that you're yeah. crazy. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. How are you? Who's this? Just like that, Buddy's off to shake another hand, win another vote in an election that will never happen. Before I, before we set the ceremonies, I do want to say a few things. The man emceeing the ceremony is Buddy's old enemy turned friend and prison visitor, Joe Paolino. Because if anybody ever asked me in the 1980s, would I ever be the emcee for Buddy Sancy's portrait? They would have done just what you're doing now. That's a good point. And I, and I need to, to tell you that sometimes the best friend that you can have is somebody who is your greatest foe. Paolino finishes his introduction and it's finally time to see Buddy's new portrait. Wow, look at that. There, high up on the wall, is Buddy, as he used to be, as everyone remembers him, standing in the mayor's office, toupee on his head, presiding over the Renaissance city, his city. Then Buddy, as he is today, old and bald and thin, steps up to the microphone. Well, let me say this is uh, quite an honor, but I must say it's not the first time I've been framed. <laughs> After Buddy speaks, people mill around while picking at cheese plates and drinking white wine. But it all seems too much for Buddy. He walks over to a bench and sits down. But he didn't look so good. Buddy slumps over. He's not responding. He seems to have passed out. He's collapsing. Security starts to clear the room. Did you guys see what happened? He was just sitting and they just started like, I saw him just like slapping his face. Wake up, wake up. That's all I saw. It's hot in there. It's just hot, yeah, and then they-, and then they Buddy were... is taken away in an ambulance. Oh, wow. Well, um, yeah. My God, if he doesn't live. We were there the night Buddy Cianci died. Got his last speech on. And it was a good one. It really was. It really was a good one. You saw his hand though? Mm hmm. His hand was like this. Yeah, he was having a stroke. He probably had a stroke. The heat. But then a few hours later, Buddy is spotted at an after party at his favorite Italian restaurant on Federal Hill. I'm fine. I was a little dehydrated. 
I'm back eating and looking forward to having my pasta. Um, the room is hot. Buddy, who's made so many improbable recoveries over his long career, seems to have made another one. We keep in touch. Not long after, Buddy calls to say he's ready to talk on tape. We set a date, and I tell him I'll see him soon. And then, a couple days later, he dies. We have from confirmed sources that former Providence Mayor Vincent Buddy Cianci has died. Cianci has passed away at the age of 74. As you know, Roughly a year earlier, when Buddy knew he had cancer and was deciding to run for mayor one last time, he sat with his friend, Joe Paolino, and made a list of pros and cons. I said, let's look at the cons. Cons, you're gonna lose a lot of money. You'll be kissing women with jelly donuts in their mouth at a home for the elderly. I said, you're gonna be doing all the stuff that we've always had to do in order to get a vote. And I said, and you have cancer. Okay, let's look at the pluses. Pluses, you're probably gonna die in office. You can tell your police commissioner, show me what my funeral will look like. Tell them I want to be lay out in City Hall. Thousands gathered at City Hall this weekend to say goodbye to CNC. You want a horse-drawn carriage. This casket was carried down the steps this morning and was brought by a horse-drawn carriage to the Cathedral of Saints Peter and Paul. Probably. You want to have the people throwing roses at the hearse up that was Avenue, saying that they miss you. He did so much for this city, and we all love him, and we're all gonna miss him. He said, now you're making it enticing. Turns out, Buddy didn't need to win the election to get the funeral he wanted. You know, he was a gentleman. Besides his faults. You know, everybody has faults. There was, there was nothing wrong with what this guy did. I believe that he just loved Providence too much. At Buddy's funeral, the church is packed with people from his past. Cops, politicians, and judges sit shoulder to shoulder with crooks and ex-cons. They all grew up together, attended school together, went to each other's weddings and funerals. That those in public office may promote justice and peace while continuing the work of our brother, Mayor Vincent A. Cianci, Jr., let us pray. Lord, in your divine, divine providence, hear our prayer. In death, just as in life, Buddy divided the city. Some praised him. Some condemned him. Others just remembered him. Personally, I got, he got fucked. Jerry Tillinghast the wise guy who helped round up votes for Buddy so he could win his first election. Anyway, so, and then, I, last uh, summer when he was running for mayor, I run into him up the hill. He's sitting there and he's looking at me. I said, you don't remember me, buddy? He says, I'm trying to say, Jerry Tillman. I said, so how you doing? We shook hands. And he turned and he says, you still live in Providence? <laughs> I started laughing, I says, no, I said, but I still have a lot of relatives. I said, I'm gonna do what I can for you. He said, oh, okay, thanks, you know, and that was that. I think he's a man who wasted the talents that he had. Dennis Aiken, the FBI agent who brought Buddy down. I think he was smart, 
but he used it for his own greed and personal satisfaction. He loved nice things, and he loved power. And power took over. He could have been a really, really good mayor, or even more, because he certainly had the talent. But he didn't choose that road. He'll be remembered as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mike Stanton, the reporter who trailed Buddy and wrote a book about his life. That mixture of good and evil, um, that ability to bring people together and drive them apart, um, that ability to have this vision for the city on the hill, but then kind of drag the city into the sewer. It's very complicated. He's a very complicated man. If he was just Dr. Jekyll, he'd be boring. We wouldn't care about him. If he was just Mr. Hyde, we would hate him and despise him and not want to know much about him. No one, not a politician or a priest, not a bishop or a bus driver, should ever be defined solely by their faults. Lord, in your divine providence, hear our prayer. Providence is essentially two hills on either side of a river. On one side is Federal Hill, the former headquarters of mob boss Raymond Patriarca. On the other bank is the east side, where Brown University is, where the doctors and lawyers and professionals live. One great contribution to the city that I made was all this physical stuff, yeah, maybe. No, it wasn't it. It was the raising of the self-esteem of these, of these people in the city who always thought that they were pieces of shit. Providence has never quite been able to reconcile its two halves, just as Buddy was never able to reconcile his. The dark Buddy and the light, the Jekyll, and the hide. And we've got people that believe in themselves. They had to focus around an individual. They focused around me. They say, see, it's because I had all this national shit of all the trouble I had. But the city came alive, too, and it became a national story. And I became their guy. In the end, it's impossible to say whether Buddy changed Providence or Providence changed Buddy. Buddy was Providence. And Providence, for better or worse, was Buddy. Almost like a symphony. A city has got to sing. It's got to dance. And 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 it has to be neighborhoods. It has to be streets. I mean, like a like a musical score. And Kansas. 
Mark and I want to say thanks to everyone who listened to this first season of Crime Town. We had a lot of fun making the show. And to our team, Drew, Austin, Caitlin, Matt, and Laura, you're all rock stars. Thank you for making the show what it is. We really couldn't have done it without you. And Alex, you've never wavered. You brought us into the Gimlet family, and we learned so much. It's truly been an honor. Keep an eye on our feed for bonus episodes and for news about season two. It's coming. Crime Town is me, Mark Smerling, and Zach Stewart Pontier. We are produced by Drew Nellis, Caitlin Roberts, Austin Mitchell, and Mike Plunkett. Our associate producer is Laura Sim. We're edited by Alex Bloomberg and Caitlin Kenny. Fact-checking by Mick Rouse. This episode of Crime Town was mixed, sound designed, and scored by Matthew Boll. Additional mixing by Enoch Kim, Martin Peralta, and Kenny Kusiak. Additional sound design by Ted Robinson at Silver Sound. Our title track is Run to Your Mama by Goat. Our credit track this week is Rhode Island is Famous for You, covered by Rosaline Eastman. Original music by John Cusiak, Kenny Cusiak, John Ivins, Edwin, and Beanart. Our ad music is by Matthew Boll. Our digital editor is Rob Zipko. Our design director is Ale Lariu. Archival footage courtesy of WPRI Channel 12. Alex Bloomberg is the podfather. He has a half-century history of recurrent, thuggish, criminal behavior. This season of Crime Town is dedicated to the memory of Bill Malinowski. Thanks to the Providence Journal, Julia Haymans, Emily Wiedemann, Brad Turquetta and the Cianci Estate, Kate Parkinson Morgan, Yuya Kudo, Tim White, Lisa Newby, Wayne Miller, Kate Wells, Mary Murphy, Dan Barry, David Jacobson, and everybody who shared their stories with us. For a full list of credits, bonus content, and to sign up for our newsletter, visit our website at crimetownshow.com. You can find us on Twitter at Crimetown and on Facebook and Instagram at Crimetown Show. And if you enjoyed Crimetown, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find out about the show. Thanks. Providence is a special place, and we're honored to have told a part of its story. So they are handing off a box. Mark's got the box in his hand. Oh my god.
and on it is written Buddy Tapes. Holy oh, shit. shit.